If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. The Safe Empowerment System for Social and Generalized Anxiety is still 50% off over at QuietBegins.com. When the anxiety starts, play the audio and let it help you diminish it right away. Life presents the toughest challenges. Every day you are faced with decisions that test your ability to express who you really want to be in this world. We're told to keep saying affirmations and keep thinking positively, but what do you do when that stuff doesn't work? Welcome to the Overwhelmed Brain, where you'll learn to make decisions that are right for you so that you can create the life you want now. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Paul Coliani and I'm here to help you increase your emotional intelligence so that you can avoid dysfunction, handle toxic situations with grace and ease, and show up as your authentic self. Everything I talk about on this show is my personal opinion and is meant for informational and educational purposes only. Always consult a medical or psychological professional before making any changes that could affect your physical or mental health. All right, welcome to another episode of the show. I am going to share a story with you from yesterday because I like to take all the challenges that happen in my life and turn them into some sort of personal growth lesson. And the challenge I was facing yesterday happened to be a dental visit. (laughs) I went to the dentist to get a broken tooth fixed because I was eating a hamburger last week uh, or the week before. And um, suddenly my tooth broke. This is something I've talked about on the show before. Uh, I think I had an ad before where we talked about dental work. And I do need dental work. And I have been needing it. So uh, it broke. And that forced me to do something about it. And that's one of the personal growth lessons I decided to take away. And I've talked about this on the show before. But sometimes you will be pushed over the edge. You will be pushed to the limit where you have no choice but to do something about something. If you're in a bad relationship and it gets worse and worse, or it just never gets any better, but you've had enough, you're going to be pushed over the edge. You're going to be pushed to the threshold, is the way I like to look at it. That threshold is the point of change. It is the moment you decide that you've had enough. And that moment can come either by force It can show up and just say, you know what? Here's more of this that you don't like. Do you want to continue being exposed to it? And uh, my teeth have been a problem. I mean, they're not a disaster, but I do have broken teeth. I do have cavities. And I always procrastinated, never wanted to go back to the dentist. I just wanted to take care of them as best as I could, floss every day. And uh, one day... When the tooth broke, I decided that's it. I can't do it anymore. I can't take this risk anymore. And it was an emotional and psychological thing too because when you are pushed to threshold, 
you are reminded that there is a problem that needs to be addressed and now you have no choice. And sometimes that can be helpful. Well, often it can be helpful to be pushed so far that you have no choice because at that point you're going to do whatever it takes. And that's what I did. I mean, my problem is minor compared to a lot of problems out there. But like I said, it's good to look at what you, what's going on in life and the problems that come your way and take a lesson from it. How many lessons come our way and we don't learn? Oh, I'm in another bad relationship. Oh, I'm in another bad relationship. Why do I keep getting into these bad relationships? Well, let's look at all the lessons from the other relationships and figure out what we could have learned or what we didn't learn that we could have learned. So I look at even this minor stuff. You know, it's not minor. It's still painful. It's still scary when a tooth breaks. And uh, I'm one to talk because my girlfriend has broken the same tooth (laughs) at least six times in her life. And she still has to wear something in her mouth to keep a tooth in there. And um, we're still in the middle of all that. But it is a big problem for her and she has been dealing with it. And I certainly don't have the same problem that she has. But when something happens, when somebody pushes you to the edge or something pushes you to the edge, you may have no choice anymore but to address it and do it. So I talk about relationships as an example of being in something that uh, you probably don't like, that might be somewhat painful, and you might want to change, but you know, you're not really ready to change or maybe you want a change but it's too scary but it's not bad enough to leave or maybe you can't afford it maybe you don't know what's going to happen there's all kinds of excuses that we can come up with and it'll keep us where we are but this is why I like being pushed over the edge (laughs) sometimes it's that when there's no choice you're going to do it no matter what And the second personal growth lesson that I learned from this is that even when you think you can't do it, when you're pushed over the edge, you do it. That says a lot. That tells me that if I'm afraid to do something and I just tell myself, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to deal with that. And then I'm forced to do it. Suddenly I can do it. Well, where did that come from? It's that mental game that really messes with us. But if we are a step ahead of the mental game and we tell ourselves, well, if I had no choice but to do it, would I do it then? Well, of course, I I would have no choice. That means it's inside you. It means it's already there and you can do it. So when these challenges come our way and we think, oh, I'm just not going to be able to do this, when something happens that pushes you past the threshold, you do it. You find a way, you find the energy, you find the resources, you find the people, the support system, you find these things. And if you can't find these things, you figure it out because you have no choice. And so sometimes it's helpful to have no choice to push you past your perceived limits so that you create change in your life. So that was lesson two from the dentist visit. Lesson three is no matter how bad the pain is, you'll get through it. I know this to be true because, and this is going to sound a little bit morbid, 
if you can't get through it, if the pain is so great that you die, you won't remember it. <laughs> that's a little morbid. I'm not telling you that that's what you should use for your own philosophy in life, but I use it. I realize that I'm going to survive this, otherwise I'll die. And if I die, I won't remember it anyway, so I know I'll survive it. <laughs> so you can take that with a grain of salt. You can take it and throw it out. You may not like it. It helps me because I know that any pain I go through is only temporary. And if I die, then the pain is still gone. So either way, the pain's going to go. Now, this doesn't really help people with chronic pain. I'm not talking about that. Chronic pain, physical pain, pain that you have to live with, absolutely a different story. I'm not trying to minimize that or invalidate that. There is pain that some people have to deal with that no matter what they try, it doesn't go away. And I absolutely feel for you. I sympathize with you. I empathize with you because I was in that pain for about 15 years of my life. And for me, it did go away because after 15 years, I finally got a surgery and I no longer had sciatic nerve pain. And even that I procrastinated on. I didn't want to get the surgery. I figured I'll just live with it another day or another year, you know, whatever I was thinking back then. I'll just keep going. I'll keep going until there's no way to keep going. That can work, but how much of life do you suffer through? How much of the quality of life do you lose by continuing to do something that is painful, hurtful, hard, when you could do something about it? And my thoughts back then, and sometimes even now, they come up and they say, well, you don't have the resources to do that. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough time. How are you going to leave what you do? How are you going to uh, make people wait for you? to go and take care of yourself. I look at it as I sit at my desk every day. I work at home. I'm very fortunate. I make my own schedule. I get tons of emails. I have a lot of work to do. I'm working on projects. I'm working on the podcast. I'm working on the online course that I'm creating. I'm working with clients. There's everything that I could possibly think of to fill my schedule that I put ahead of what I need to do for myself. That old people pleaser still kicks in and says, you know what, this person and this project is more important than taking care of yourself right now. And of course, the old beliefs of, well, I, I just don't have enough resources. I just don't have enough money. I just don't have enough time. Time is a huge one for me. I don't have enough time to do that. But if I don't make the time, I will eventually be forced to threshold. I will eventually be pushed over the edge. And that's what can happen. I sometimes welcome that because I need a swift kick in the butt. <laughs> I sometimes need something to happen so that I move. And, you know, this all comes back to what you value most. I talk about values on the show every now and then. Whatever you value more, you will do more of. Even if you value something that you don't like. Somebody might value being in a bad relationship more than getting out of that bad relationship and being on their own. That might not sound right. It might not sound healthy. But 
what they're valuing isn't necessarily the relationship or the person that is being hurtful in the relationship. They're not valuing that. They're typically valuing their fear and whatever they believe is going to happen if they leave. They value the idea of not being in more pain than they are in now or more fear that they're in now or more debt or more impoverishment. If they leave, then they'll have nothing. This is how our values can really mess with us. When you say, I can't leave this relationship because I'm too scared, or I can't leave this job because I'm too scared, or I can't confront this person because of fear, then you're, what you're doing is valuing what that fear represents to you. The fear represents protection. You're, you're valuing your security and your protection over what could be something greater, something better for you, something healthier for you. So when you have these fears that drive your behavior, you end up making decisions based on what you believe is a better choice because you don't want it any worse. So when you're in something that's pretty bad and you don't want it worse, you're more likely to stay with pretty bad than explore what could be better because you believe it's going to be worse. And this is the stuff we tell ourselves. We make up excuses and sometimes they're real. I'm not saying that everything is an excuse. If it's a bad job and if you quit, you have no money. That's a real thing. That's a real reason to stay in a crappy job. I'm not saying you should, but it is a real reason. That's not an excuse. It's a reason. And when you have these reasons that dictate what you're going to do next, my only concern with these reasons that we give ourselves or we tell others is that we stay in situations way too long and our quality of life is not that great or even terrible. When your quality of life is terrible, then you have to gauge how much time you want to spend living day to day in a lower quality of life. And again, I know it's not always easy. You can't just make a decision then change your life. Well, you can, but there are fears that kick in. There are insecurities and there are realities that we are surrounded by, especially now during COVID and the pandemic and what's up with the politics and who's going to be the next president, at least in the U.S. You know, we're looking at all these changes that are happening and we don't know what to do. So if we have a lower quality of life and we want to make a change and all these variables exist, we may not know what to do. So my thought when it comes to that is always set a deadline to make a decision because the November election is going to come and go. And no matter who's president of the U.S. after that point, you still have to make decisions for yourself. No matter if and when COVID goes away and if and when we can all be friends and socialize again, hopefully we can all be friends, but when we can connect, when we can social undistance, we can get closer. No matter when that happens, there's going to be a point where we make a decision. Let's just say that it continues into next year and we're still in the pandemic and people are still getting COVID. There's going to be a point where we're all going to be pushed to the threshold and we're all going to make another decision for ourselves. And that could mean a number of things to a number of people. Some people will say, forget it. I don't care if uh, I get COVID, I'm not wearing a mask. Some people will say that. Some people will say this is a hoax. Some people will say it's planned. Some people will say the numbers are off. You read it all on social media, and if you're not reading it, you're very lucky. 
because you are not in the mix of all the conspiracies and all the different thoughts and all the different opinions. And it's nice to stay out of that, but at the same time, you want to be informed. But if you want to be informed, perhaps social media is not the best place to do that. Uh, but maybe what you can do is just do your best. And what that means is sometimes you have to make decisions that are right for you. There's a point where you will be pushed to threshold. And I'm not necessarily talking about the pandemic. I'm not saying that you should make major decisions right now while everything's up in the air. I'm just saying there's a point where if you have a decision to make, give yourself a deadline to make it. Because if you don't, and you know you need to make it, you will be pushed. And it may be harder when you are pushed to that threshold. I was pushed to the threshold with this dental stuff I had to take care of. You know, a broken tooth is a big thing. It can be painful. It was. I went to the dentist yesterday as a follow-up because the temporary cap that they put on, it was hurting. It was radiating pain. And I thought, this isn't right. This doesn't feel right. I thought the pain was supposed to be gone after my first visit. So I went back. And um, as the dentist was pulling off the temporary cap, I went into orbit. <laughs> I was like, oh, this hurts. Oh, and she's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then she immediately gave me some numbing stuff, like Novocaine or something. And when it numbed, it was gone. But for that few minutes, I was in this pain. I was starting to sweat. I felt a little panicky because I don't know if you've ever had nerve pain in your teeth, but it can hurt. And that's where I was. I was in the middle of that pain because when she pulled the cap halfway off, it was pushing against it. And suddenly I was in this fear. I was in this pain. But I had to check in with myself and say, it's temporary. It's going to go away. It's going to stop. Of course, I told her that I was in pain and she immediately got the needle out and made it numb. It took a while, but I did get through it. I did survive. It helps to know you will. It helps to know you'll survive whatever decision you make. If you have to make a hard decision, you will survive. You will go through the challenge. It'll probably be very hard. You'll probably have other challenges that come up because you are making the decision. But once you make the decision, you'll get through it. And if it doesn't work out the way you want it to, you will learn something. You may even be more mentally and emotionally stronger because of it, and you will have discovered what you need to do next time. So your decision may not relate to my dental visit, but like I said, I'd like to learn a lesson with every challenge that comes my way. Being in pain yesterday after not having experienced real tooth pain for a long time, even though I needed a lot of work, was a reminder that I need to do something about this. And that's why I started the process of getting this stuff done in my mouth. What do you need to do that hasn't been done yet in your life? I'm not saying you have to do it right away. I'm just saying, think about it. And are you going to live a lower quality of life as you go through life day to day, knowing that you could have different results and a different outcome every day if you decide to make a change? And if you decide to prioritize that the change is more important than the fear and the change is more important than the insecurity around it and the uncertainty and the feeling of walking into a complete abyss 
not knowing what's going to happen. I like to rearrange my values sometimes and tell myself that a higher quality of life is much more important than all this other stuff that I have lined up. And if that's the case, if it's a higher quality of life that's more important than the fear, then I'm going to make a decision that will take me one step closer to that. And being closer to that is a lot better than being in the same place I was. Not being able to eat pineapple and tomato and anything acidic, oranges. I couldn't eat anything acidic because I had this very light film, I guess, of enamel on my teeth. And anytime I ate it, it dissolved the enamel and then my teeth got sensitive. I can't even eat fruit. I want to eat fruit. That was a sacrifice I was willing to make so I didn't have to go to the dentist. And when my tooth broke, I decided this has to change. If there's a pain in your life or a lower quality of life that you know you could change, but you just don't want to, maybe it's time to reconsider or at least start thinking about it differently, knowing that it's in you. You have the ability to do it. Even when you don't think you do, if you were pushed to the edge and someone said, you have no choice, you're going to find a way to do it. So there's my little motivational talk for this uh, first segment. (laughs) I hope it helps you. Like I said, I went to the dentist. I had these issues. Huge challenge for me. Huge procrastination for me. Finally getting this stuff done. And my life is already improving. It's a little uncomfortable right now on my teeth because they're different sizes. I'm waiting for crowns. But I know that it's a work in progress. Just like any change you make, depending how deep you are in it, there are going to be obstacles in the way. This is going to be a work in progress. I have clients right now that are making decisions in their life that they know will involve a lot of steps, a lot of pain, and a lot of changes, and they have no idea what's going to happen. Yet they're choosing to do it anyway. I swear I didn't convince them to do it. (laughs) They are choosing to do it because they realize they want a higher quality of life. And that could be just one little step towards something better. So take this with you into your life, anywhere you go. I'm going to head into a break, and when we come back, I'm going to read you an email that has to do with normalizing something that maybe you shouldn't normalize. This isn't about the new normal. It's not about that at all. I'm saying that sometimes we live a lower quality of life, and things happen to us that we think are probably normal, but we have been exposed to that lower quality for so long that we don't even know what normal is anymore. We're going to talk about that right after this. Thank you again for joining me. We'll be right back. Sometimes timing is everything. Sometimes something comes along and you go, this is perfect. This is exactly what I need right now. And not only that, but it's available whenever I need it. And this is a service called BetterHelp. BetterHelp is online counseling. It is through the phone, it is video chat, it is through their messaging system. It is a way to speak to someone and share the issues that you're dealing with in a confidential environment with a licensed counselor so that you can 
get whatever's on your mind and whatever's on your heart out there to someone that you can trust. I mean, I'll never forget the day I walked out of a therapist's office for the first time. It was during my depression, back when I was in my 30s. And I closed the door behind me, and that was my first session. And I thought, wow, this feels so different. I felt like I just left my problems back there. I felt like I just left my problems behind that door. That's why therapy can be so powerful and so effective. BetterHelp has licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, anger, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem issues. And of course, when you join, they'll assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. That way you get to work with the same person. However, if that person's not working out for you, this is really cool. You can choose another counselor. You can choose another therapist and they'll match you up with someone else. That happens sometimes. Sometimes people don't resonate with each other or maybe you don't feel comfortable sharing stuff with this particular person. So you can choose someone else. And having been in the system myself, checking it out, talking to two or three counselors in there just so I can understand how this worked, I found out that everyone that I talked to was highly supportive, kept it very professional, and really wanted to help. So this is why I like BetterHelp. I want you to check them out. Go to betterhelp.com forward slash brain. That's BetterHelp. H-E-L-P.com forward slash brain, and you'll get 10% off your first month. As soon as you sign up, you can start communicating in under 24 hours. And like I said, you connect in a safe and private online environment, very convenient, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. If you know what's interfering with your happiness, or if you don't know what's interfering with your happiness, or if something is preventing you from achieving your goals, head over to BetterHelp, betterhelp.com forward slash brain. Welcome back. Like I said, I'm going to read you an email that uh, someone wrote to me that might have a perception of life that might be a little skewed. And I say that because uh, she wants to know if a certain behavior that she's experienced is normal. So this is a person that's been in a relationship and her boyfriend did some interesting things that I'm going to read to you. And whether you're in a relationship or not, this applies across the board in any relationship with anyone that you know, whether it's a friend, family, platonic, co-worker, whatever it is. And it's about how we normalize certain behaviors and think, well, that's normal. Then we'll just have to deal with it and move on. Sometimes it's not normal. Sometimes behavior is not normal. And I, I see this in emotionally abusive relationships a lot. And uh, I've said this on the show before, but if you're in an emotionally abusive relationship and it's gotten worse and worse, it can be because you've normalized the initial behaviors and allowed those behaviors to exist in your relationship. So if you have uh, one of those family members, for example, that always show up in a toxic way, they are probably doing behaviors that you either allowed or had no choice but to allow just to get through the time that you were together, and that behavior became acceptable. That's what I consider normalizing something, is that you become accepting of certain behaviors, even if those behaviors aren't healthy for you. Like I said, this is something that happens often in emotionally abusive relationships because the emotional abuser will at first put someone down, for example. Let's just say the emotionally abusive person puts someone down, makes them feel small, or makes fun of them in front of some friends. 
and the person receiving this, what I would consider abuse, is very hurt, but thinks maybe it was just a fluke. Maybe, uh, maybe they deserved it. I've heard that too. Maybe I deserved that. Maybe I shouldn't have spoken up when I did. Or maybe they just thought um, that their partner or whoever it was, was having a bad day. Uh, he or she is just having a bad day, so I'll just let that slide. But then it happens again. And that person thinks, oh, it happened again. Oh, that's a terrible feeling. But what do I do about it? What do I say? Uh, how do I handle this? So maybe they don't know how to handle it or they don't handle it. And maybe it happens again, you know, some other time. So here they are thinking, wow, this is happening over and over again. So what they'll do is ask themselves, is it bad enough where I'm going to just leave them or tell them they're rotten? Is it bad enough to do that? And they'll justify in their mind that it's not. It's not bad enough to do that. But then time goes on and the emotionally abusive person then yells at them and calls them names. So now we're at the next level. They've already normalized the first one by being accepting of it. Well, it's not bad enough, so I won't say anything. Now they're going to the next level where they're being yelled at, uh, still made fun of because that's part of the normal behavior, and now they're being called names. The victim of that abuse doesn't like it, of course. No one likes that. But again, go through all the justifications. Well, maybe that person was having a bad day. Maybe this is only a one-time thing, and they make excuses. These aren't reasons now. These are excuses. They make these excuses. This is only a one-time thing, and hopefully I won't see that again. And so the hope starts, if it hadn't already started. The hope that they won't do it again. The hope keeps amplifying. The hope is what they rely on, that it won't happen again. And also, they think, I should probably try to avoid this by behaving differently or trying harder. So now the emotional abuse victim tries harder, hopes and maybe prays and tries to act differently, tries to please the other person more, tries to show up in more respectful and kind ways, you know, over the top. But what's happening is the second stage of normalization for bad behavior. So the bad behavior is happening and amplifying, and then you get to stage three, and these stages really aren't in a textbook anywhere. I'm just unwrapping this as you go, the typical cycle of an abusive relationship and how it starts. Stage three is the next set of bad behaviors. The third stage could be anything from pushing them or isolating them from friends and family and telling them that nothing they do is good enough and they're making them feel really bad about themselves and bullying them and intimidating. You can tell how these stages continue to elevate as they get normalized. And one of the biggest problems with this, and you probably already know, is that after years of this treatment, the victim of emotional abuse may think that intimidation and bullying and being called names and being made fun of are all acceptable behaviors because it never got bad enough to leave. And this is where it all falls apart. As soon as you normalize bad behavior like that, you've helped create or inadvertently help create a very toxic foundation on which the relationship is built. So if you have a toxic sibling or a toxic parent or a toxic partner and you've normalized a lot of their behavior, then all the bad behavior in those earlier stages becomes normal 
And all you're doing is hoping that it never gets worse. And if you're always in that state of hoping it never gets worse, you're probably willing to accept what it is, that lower quality of life. You don't want that lower quality of life. Of course you don't. But what do you do? You have to address these things early. And if not with them, with yourself. Meaning, if you don't tell them, hey, what you just did was hurtful. I don't like it. Please don't do that again. If you're not willing or able to do that, then you have to tell yourself, am I willing to accept this behavior from this person? Am I willing to continue accepting this bad behavior from this person? Because it never happens just once. Emotional abuse is the compound effect of multiple bad behaviors that continue to make the other person feel bad and feel bad about themselves. So this is something that any of us could do. We get used to someone's behavior. We normalize it. We accept it. That way, when they do the behavior over and over again, it's not bad enough because we've accepted it as being normal. So when they do something heinous, the heinous act isn't as bad as it could have been because we've already been conditioned. We've already been groomed through these abuse cycles to get used to the bad behavior and understand that the next level of bad behavior is something that we also have to normalize and accept. I hope that's not you. I mean, I'm not describing everyone here, but there are people that do this. And when they do it, their quality of life goes down. And it gets worse when you have all these attachments and connections and commitments to the person. You make kids with them. You buy a house with them. You start a business with them. All of these commitments that we make with people whose behavior we may have already normalized when we made these commitments. So we have to be careful about normalizing things and changing our quality of life. I'm going to read you this email about this and just give her, this person, a quick answer to this because most of the answer has already been said in this episode, but I want to address this directly. So this person writes, Hi Paul, can I please ask you to anonymize or use a different name for me as I don't want to be identified? Of course, I will not use your name. I never use any real names on this show unless somebody specifically asks me to. And even then, I am very careful because if somebody else listens to this show and they hear your name, that might be a problem. Let me finish with this email. I've listened to your other podcast, Love and Abuse, and I can tell you how much I respect you for putting your own experiences out there to help others like me. It's what helped me leave an emotionally and mentally abusive relationship. I've never been in an abusive relationship until recently. Well, the last few years, to be precise. I've tried counseling, therapy, but I found my therapist to be less engaging, and so it didn't help. I wonder if you could mention this on your next episode, as I still can't make sense of it, and it's stopping me from moving on. My ex was married before we met. His wife at that time was the love of his life, and she left him, saying that she would have done anything for him, but his demand and expectations were too unreasonable. He was very open about it, and he even showed me the messages from her. He divorced her, and we agreed to get to know each other until his divorce came through, and I was his friend and helped him through it in a way that I never even knew I had in me to do. I was there for him any time of the day, sometimes even the middle of the night, driving over when he was low. One day I went to a gathering for his friend's wife, and some of his ex-wife's friends were going to be there. After the gathering, we made our way to a pub where we met my boyfriend and the boys, i.e., husbands and partners of the girls from the gathering. Sorry if this is a little confusing, but what she's doing is she's going to the bar, meeting her boyfriend there, and his friends and their partners. My boyfriend said hi to me and then spent almost two hours that night talking to the girl who was rude to me. In all fairness, he didn't know what she had said to me, 
However, I found it disrespectful that he didn't seem to put me first that evening. Later that night, we got back to his place where I was meant to stay, and he asked me to leave after I brought up what happened. I didn't leave, so he threw me out in my shorts and t-shirt, bare feet, with no shoes on, in the cold, and threw my things out after. He then crashed into my car, trying to barge it out of the driveway, as I refused to drive it home after having a few drinks. I didn't want to drink and drive. I then called his friends who had dropped us home, asking for help, while he was threatening that the relationship was over if I called them. He still never asked where I went that night, and I still stayed with him for an entire year after that. And now here's the question that she's asking. Is this normal? So thank you so much for writing that. Of course, I left out some details. And of course, I won't tell everyone your name. And certainly, you went through the ringer with this person. And obviously, like you said, you are out of this relationship. You said that at the beginning. But you're still stuck on this event that happened because you're asking about it a year later or more. And you're wondering if this behavior is normal. So the first thing that you said was that you can't make sense of what happened and it's stopping you from moving on. So I have to assume that it's stopping you from, what, moving into a different relationship, or you just can't find closure with what happened. I don't know what it is, but I think you're trying to wrap your head around his behavior, and probably, I'm going to assume, you have questions about your own behavior, because you probably think maybe you could have done something differently that night, or maybe not. Maybe that's not on your mind at all. But I want to address both sides of this and just answer your question in a few quick words, which is, no, it's not normal unless you've normalized bad behavior. So I already said this throughout the episode. It's no big revelation here. Uh, But I'm telling you this because I need you to find closure with this. And I also want you to look in the past and how the relationship developed and each stage that you normalized bad behavior to the point where you were in this situation and he's throwing you out with your t-shirt and bare feet and you're trying to figure out what just happened. Behaviors before that, I'm going to assume were probably red flags that you decided weren't bad enough to leave the relationship. I'm not blaming you for that. I'm just saying there's a normalization that you put on those behaviors that when something worse happened like this, that you weren't so affected by it that you decided to never go back. So the not normal thing about this is A, your normalization of bad behaviors before this happened, and B, being so jaded by the past behavior that you found this incident to not be bad enough to want to leave. So this is part of the normalization as well, is that you get so used to certain behaviors that when something really bad happens, it's still not enough to leave. And this means that you have accepted earlier behaviors that were probably not healthy, were probably very toxic for you, probably very poisonous for the relationship, And because of that, this didn't come out of the blue, even though it might have been an entirely different behavior, but it was simply another stage in his behavior. And, you know, you said something earlier about him and what his ex-wife said about him. You said that she was the love of his life and she left him 
saying that she would have done anything for him, but his demand and expectations were too unreasonable. There's a flag. (laughs) I mean, he's telling you this. He's being open about it. But here's the thing. If you want some closure on this, often either narcissistic people, uh, sociopathic people, antisocial personality disorder, emotionally abusive people of all forms will often tell you who they are right up front, right at the beginning. And it's interesting that he shared something that his current wife or soon-to-be ex-wife was telling him that he was too demanding and had high expectations that were unreasonable. It's almost like he wanted to prep you for who he was. So I give credit to the emotionally abusive people out there that do this because they tell you who they are. Some do. He allowed you to see texts from his wife at the time that described who he was And you probably had feelings for him, and you probably also saw him as the victim, or at least somewhat of a victim at that point. Because when you have feelings for someone, you tend to feel more sorry for them, or you tend to sympathize with them, or empathize more. But an emotionally abusive person, they know this, either consciously or subconsciously, that when they tell you who they are, you are more likely to give them the benefit of the doubt and say things like, I don't see that about you. I can't imagine that would be true. She must be exaggerating because she is jilted. She must be hurt in some way. So she's probably making stuff up about you. And you also think that if he's sharing this with me, if he's sharing somebody telling him that he's too demanding and his expectations are unreasonable, then he must be so aware of it that he's not that person anymore. And obviously the problem with that is that's not true, is it? At least I'm going to assume. I mean, you didn't really tell me in your email that he had high expectations, but he seemed definitely unreasonable when he threw you out. That seems like a pretty mean thing to do. So I'm going to assume that even though he knew he was unreasonable and he had high expectations, he didn't think it was a problem. That would be a great question right up front when you're developing a relationship with anyone. When they tell you things like this, like, you know, my ex found me too unreasonable, my ex found me too demanding, is to ask the question, do you think you are? Their answer is going to tell you a lot, unless they lie. If they lie, then that's something you need to learn about as you go. You need to find out if they really are or not. But he did give you this information at the beginning. Again, I'm not blaming you for that. You just don't see this stuff at the beginning. You're, you're so involved with someone. They're showing their good side, and suddenly they show you something that describes them from somebody else's perspective, and you might give them the benefit of the doubt because you're a supportive person. You're compassionate. You care. And when you care about someone, you'll probably give them more leniency. So coming back to your question, is this normal? This is not normal. And I want you to have closure around it. The closure may need to come in the form of forgiving yourself for not catching the red flags, for not leaving before. I'm not saying that you should have been smarter. I'm not saying that you should have left sooner. I'm not saying that at all. All I'm saying is that sometimes we carry around upset toward ourselves for not seeing things that we should have seen before. And if you don't forgive yourself for that, you'll carry it with you. And you have to Forgive yourself a break for how you showed up then, for what you missed, 
for the red flags that came and went and you decided to continue the relationship, you have to give yourself a break and forgive yourself a break so that you don't carry it with you. So that's part A of my answer. You need to forgive yourself for any decisions that you may have regretted, for anything that you missed. And part B of my answer is, let's just say that you didn't catch any of this stuff. You didn't see any red flags, which I find highly unlikely. And suddenly this came out of the blue. You also need to forgive yourself for not addressing it until you got closure. Maybe it's not forgiveness that I'm looking for there, but you just need to remind yourself that when something like this happens, it needs to be addressed, it needs to be discussed, it needs to be fleshed out, it needs to be put on the table and spread out so that you can talk about the aspects of it that bother you. When he threw you out and then you decided to stay with him another year, all of that should have been discussed. All of that should have been put on the table and discussed like two adults. You put it out there and you say, you know what? You threw me out. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? That's treating me like a dog. That's treating me like someone less than human. That is not right. What do you have to say about that? Have the conversation. If you tried having that conversation and he got angry and he didn't want to talk about it, then you don't have enough information to go on to continue to trust that this relationship is going to be healthy enough to continue. When you don't have the information, it's very difficult to go on. This is what happens if somebody cheats on you. If somebody cheats on you and you decide to keep the relationship going, you find out about it and you go through the discovery and the pain and, uh, and you decide that you want to heal together, one of the challenges going forward have to do with a multitude of things that this person believes about themselves if they're cheated on is A, am I not worthy enough? Am I not important? Why would this person lie to me? Is it something that I did? Is it something that I could do better? There's that part of it. And then the other part is, is this person going to cheat on me again? Are they going to lie to me again? Are they going to deceive me again? So all of this is wrapped up in this feeling of non-closure. And sometimes it's never discussed. The relationships that have gone through infidelity, that have the best chance of surviving and healing and getting better, are the ones where the person who cheated is willing to talk about any aspect of the cheating. Instead of throwing it under the rug and saying, you need to get over it. You need to move on. The person who cheats, if they're willing to talk about it, they're willing to put it on the table and talk about any aspect of it, then I believe that has the best chance of survival. I mean, healing the relationship and making it better than ever. Because that leads to closure. You may have to ask the hard questions. You may have to hear the hard stuff. But that leads to closure. It, you may not like the closure. You may not like the idea that they found somebody else attractive you may not like the idea that they lied to you, but at least you'd have the answer. You just have to process it. You have to get through it. But the relationship that doesn't work often is when the person who cheated says, you know what? It's been a few months. You need to get over it. You need to move on. I don't want to talk about it anymore. That has a terrible chance of healing because it's not on the table and you still have no closure. You don't have an opportunity to express your pain and your anger. You don't have an opportunity to grow through it together. The person who cheated is not putting their vulnerability on the table. They're not allowing themselves to be exposed and talk about this as many times as you need to talk about it. This may have nothing to do with what she's going through, but it's the same feeling of not having closure. When you don't have closure, it's very difficult to move on. This is why it's so important to 
talk about these things when they come up. If something happens in any relationship that you're in, if you don't talk about it, you carry it around. You hold resentments. You may hold regrets. You may hold anger. And then you're walking around with it. And of course, that's a lower quality of life. So the person who wrote, thank you again for writing. You were probably experiencing a lower quality of life and you got used to that lower quality. You didn't have these important discussions. I really believe there's a lot of self-forgiveness that needs to take place, but you can move on because you'll know what to look for next time. And I believe what you're asking probably had nothing to do with my answer. (laughs) I believe what you're asking has to do with, is his behavior throwing you out and leaving you out there and smashing into your car normal? I'm going to say that's crazy. (laughs) That's crazy. I mean, obviously he was feeling exposed at that moment. He didn't want you to see through what was happening. Whether he was talking to that girl and he liked her and he didn't want you to interfere with that, that could have been happening. Or maybe he just didn't like to be uh, someone who wasn't trusted. Maybe it was a legitimate reason, like, why don't you trust me? We've been together for a long time. But even if that were the case, that behavior is not normal. It's crazy. (laughs) It's crazy. And of course, I'm talking to you as if we were at a coffee shop. Obviously, this isn't my professional opinion. My professional opinion is that any one of us is capable of doing this. So if anyone's listening and they did this, I'm not putting you down. I'm not calling you crazy. I'm saying that any one of us can get to that point where we feel pushed over the edge, where we feel overexposed, where we feel like maybe we're going to get caught. So we might do something a little over the top like this and hurt someone in some way. You were hurt and you were put out on the street You had no shoes on. It was cold out. That is an awful thing for someone to go through. And you deserve to be angry about it. You deserve to have feelings about it. You deserve to have thoughts about it. You deserve to visualize yourself punching him in the face if you want. This is a mind exercise that I do. I visualize the person I'm angry with and I do anything I want to them. I say anything I want to them. I do anything I want to them. Sometimes they're dead, (laughs) sometimes they're hurt, sometimes they leave with their tail between their legs and their head down, and I feel better. Doesn't mean you have to do that. I'm just saying when you do this mind exercise, this visualization, and you picture them in front of you, and you do and say anything you need to do and say to them in your mind, it can be helpful. It can release the pressure. It can give you some closure. So you may also need some closure around that too. Because I don't know how many times I've heard people write to me and they say, so-and-so left, didn't give me a reason why, and here I am stuck not knowing what I did wrong or not knowing what happened. And sometimes you just need to give yourself closure so you could move on, and you may never get that closure from them. So this is why it's helpful to use your brain to visualize these things and get some resolve so that you can move on. And my final word, let me just tell you this, I'm allowing you to move on. I'm giving you permission to move on. This is your resolution. You are allowed to move on because you and me sitting in a coffee shop, I'm going to look over at you and say, that guy's nuts. (laughs) That guy's crazy. You need to get away from him. You need to look at that situation and tell yourself that is not normal. That is nuts. You don't deserve that. That's my final word to you. You don't deserve behavior like that. That is not normal. You are worth much more than that. You are worthy. You are significant. You are lovable. 
and you don't need that in your life. So take a stand for yourself. Never accept that kind of behavior again and move on and live the higher quality of life that you deserve. Thanks again for writing and thanks for joining me today. We'll be right back. I'll say my thank yous and goodbyes and my final words after this. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Overwhelmed Brain. I want to remind you to head over to betterhelp.com forward slash brain and get 10% off your first month of online counseling. What a great time to have this service, betterhelp.com forward slash brain. And I want to thank the patrons of the week. These are the supporters of the show that show their thanks financially and I am super grateful for them. I always want to read these names because I am humbled and honored that they do this. Jamie, Angel. Jamie, you've been around for a while. Angel, you too. Jennifer, Chris, Holly, Christina, Nicholas. I think you just joined, Nicholas. Welcome aboard. Thank you so much for your support, Nicholas. I am so glad to have you on board. Same thing with Daisy. Daisy, you joined, what, a couple weeks ago? Really good to see you here. Thank you so much, Daisy. Angela, yes, Kay, Amy, Christina, I know all these names. Christina actually renewed her patronage, and uh, she pays every year. Thank you so much, Christina. I am grateful for you, all of you that give to the show. And, of course, those are the monthly donations or, Christina, the yearly donation. And, of course, Tracy and Mai, I think I'm pronouncing your name right. Tracy and Mai gave a one-time donation. Again, I am so grateful. This is how the show keeps going. This is how I keep coming back week after week. And I am so grateful for anyone that finds value in the show and decides to give back like that. Uh, you can give back if you're interested over at moretob.com. That's moretob.com. And you'll find some buttons there that you can give a one-time donation or join as a monthly patron. Not only that, if you join as a monthly patron, you'll get access to all the private episodes and workbooks and worksheets and video archive and everything I offer over there. So I like to give back as well over at moretob.com. Thank you everyone that donates to the show and of course anyone that supports the show by sharing it, leaving reviews, using the Amazon button at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. All of these ways help support the show and of course uh, you listening, learning, growing, healing, and evolving is a great way to support the show because you are supporting my cause for a better planet. (laughs) So we all have to have a cause, right? My cause is that if you're happier, I'm happier. That sounds like the people pleaser in me, but I swear it's not that. It is actually knowing that the people I'm around, if they're in good mental and emotional health, then I'm going to be happier being around them. So if this affects the people that I'm around and they're happier, that makes me happier. Not only because they're happy, but because they're showing up in my life as a more positive influence, making the decisions that are right for them. They're honoring themselves and they're honoring others that honor themselves too. So if you are improving your life, you're improving mine too. (laughs) So thank you, everyone. And I want to remind you of the Love and Abuse podcast. If you aren't aware of that, go to loveandabuse.com. That is where I talk about uh, some of the stuff I talked about in the second segment on emotionally abusive relationships. If you have trouble communicating with someone in your life and can't figure out why you feel bad around them, maybe there's some sort of control or manipulation or deception or emotional abuse going on. And you need to look at it. So head over to loveandabuse.com to listen to that podcast over there. And it'll be very helpful for you. 
And finally, I'd like to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for some of the music transitions in the overwhelmed brain. So here I am with those temporary caps on my teeth, <laughs> coming back to the dental visit. And I know some people are squeamish about the dentist. I apologize. But I actually like to go to the dentist because the very first thing I want is that Novocaine. Just stick it in my mouth, numb everything, and then do your work. I think that's awesome. I think that's really cool that we have something that can numb that area so they can do anything they want in there and get it done. It's like dropping my car off and just waiting in the waiting room. I know I have to deal with it. I have to hear the noises and get through it, but without the pain, it's so much better. But at the same time, there's almost always pain associated with big changes in your life. There really is. Even winning the lottery, there's some pain associated with that because I guarantee you, once you have all that money, those long lost relatives start calling. <laughs> and now you have to be the person that has to deal with that. So there's some pain there. And sometimes having more in your life, you have to worry about more in your life. I just had an email from someone that said, um, I really appreciated your episode on letting go of attachments because it has helped me become more minimalist. It changed my life. And I thought, wow, I, I never really considered myself a minimalist, but at the same time, because I can usually easily let go of attachments, I guess I would be considered a minimalist. If I had something I really appreciated and someone came along and said, wow, I really love this thing. Oh my God, where did you get it? I might consider giving it to them. Because the feeling you can get from giving to someone that really appreciates something it overrides any feeling of loss for me. I mean, typically. I mean, I can't say that I'm, I'm like that with everything. If somebody came along and said, wow, I really love your classical guitar, I might not give it to them. <laughs> because I like playing it. It's the only one I have. I've had it for years and I've been enjoying it. It has a really nice sound. But at the same time, if I lost it, it wouldn't be such a great loss that I couldn't stop thinking about it because I would eventually find another one. So there's a lot of benefit to being able to let go of attachments easily. I'm not saying I haven't mastered. I've just done well with it. And she was talking about the episode where I broke down in the desert in Arizona and I had all my possessions in the car and I decided to sell my car and everything in it for like 200 bucks for a bus ticket home. And I won't go over the details, but I had a panic attack at that time and I was afraid I was going to lose everything and I was so attached to everything that uh, when I finally broke through that panic attack, you know, we talk about hitting threshold and getting past that threshold. That's what happens with a panic attack sometimes is that what you're panicking about comes true and then you're no longer panicking. That's typically what happens. When what you're panicking about comes true, you don't panic anymore because there's nothing to be panicky about. It's already happening. And then you settle into a new place. You become accepting that there's no choice. There's no choice. And that's where I was. There was no choice but to accept that I had to lose everything in order to get home. It was like a thousand miles away. And that's what I did. I sold everything, 200 bucks, got my bus ticket, made my way home. And I felt more peaceful than I'd ever felt, oh, geez, in my life. I still feel it today. Every time I think about that moment, it hits me. It, it really hits me. It makes me remember that moment it happened where I finally let go of everything and how freeing it was. It went from total fear to total peace. It can happen. 
<laughs> I have an episode called Letting Go of Attachments. You can find it over at theoverwhelmedbrain.com. If that interests you at all, that's what she's talking about. And um, I appreciate that person for writing in. Thank you for that. And uh, why did I bring that up? <laughs> I brought that up because, oh yeah, the, the pain associated with big changes. This is exactly what happened to me. I was in Arizona. There was a lot of pain before I decided that I was going to be comfortable letting go of all my attachments. And that pain led to such an amazing change in my life. And when you remember that sometimes pain has to precede that positive change, it might actually help you through it. Just like sitting in that dentist chair yesterday and feeling that pain for several minutes, which felt like an hour, I knew that this was going to lead to something better. It may not be something you want to picture, but if you're going through it, that pain can lead to something better. That pain leads to some sort of resolution. In my last visit to the dentist, I had that temporary cap put on about a week ago, and every day after that was pain. So there was something wrong with it. There was something wrong with the placement or the filling that they put in there. And when I went back and she pulled it and it was a pain, it was more pain, I knew that after this, it was going to feel better. She used a different filling, and now I feel... She used something else to fill the gap where the tooth was broken and then she put the temporary cap over it. And instead of going to bed with pain and having to digest another ibuprofen, I didn't feel any pain last night. In fact, this is the best my mouth has felt in a long time. Just that one change, having to go through the pain. This is that intensity before the change. Sometimes this happens. They might have to leave a relationship, leave a job, leave a bad situation. There's going to be some intensity and maybe some pain before the change. But it passes. When you get through it, the change happens. And so you can either stay with the lower quality of life and that underlying pain, or choose to wrap it up, feel the intensity, get through it, and then you are finally on the other side of it. Sometimes you have to come to that resolution. Sometimes you have to bring things to a close. And then your life changes. If you have any trouble thinking that's true, just remember to keep an open mind so that you can step into your power and be firm in your decisions and actions so that you can create the life you want. Always take steps to grow and evolve. You are powerful beyond measure. And above all, and this is something I absolutely know to be true about you, you are amazing. Amazing.